Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. We help you build a thriving creative career. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. You can stay up to date with all things Creative Pep Talk by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Now, you might be wondering, where's the music? Well, uh, about once a year, I like to do an episode that has virtually no editing, and you're listening to that episode. Why do I like to do such a crazy thing? Well, <clears throat> I'm going to get a little bit into that uh, at the beginning of this episode, but the main reason is because I feel as though the editing is an easy thing to hide behind, and I like to kind of check in with the audience in a authentic, uncovered, unraveled, untethered way uh, just because I feel like it resets the whole show and it resets our connection. So that's what this episode is. So it's going to be chill episode. Um, yeah, so we have some sponsors. We usually have uh, two sponsors an episode, not always, but often. And it usually starts with a pre-roll, which is sponsors at the beginning of the show and a mid-roll which is sponsors in the middle of the show right now we have on this episode we are sponsored by skillshare and storyblocks so skillshare is a big partnership that we've done where i created a class for them and you can take that class at skillshare.com slash creative pep if you go there you'll get two free months of skillshare there are just thousands and thousands of classes to up your creative game. One of those classes is my class. It's about how to make your creativity into a career using a strategic side project, which I call a side quest. And uh, the response has been phenomenal. It has been uh, one of their fastest growing classes in the past couple years. And uh, and I could not be more thrilled with the results. This is the result of years of work, honestly. This is, these are concepts and ideas that I've been developing and um, fine-tuning over years. And I've seen some tremendous results in others, especially in my career as well, in my own practice. Go check it out, skillshare.com slash creativepep. <clears throat> now let's talk about Storyblocks for a second. Storyblocks basically uh, is a company that gives you stock video footage. Uh, if you're in the video world, there's plenty of times where you can't go, you know, live capture the Amazon jungle. Like if you're just making a video for you know, your your boss's street team? What if your boss had a street team? I don't, I don't know what that means. But let me just tell you this, all right? This episode is brought to you by Storyblocks Video. They give you studio-quality 4K stock video without blowing your budget. If you need B-roll, After Effects templates, video motion backgrounds, I don't know what video motion backgrounds are, but if you are in the video motion space, you probably do. So go check out Storyblocks video, storyblocks.com slash creative pep talk to learn more about Storyblocks video today. They got a bunch of really gorgeous video on there. 
and I think they look good. I'm not a I'm not personally a video maker, but they look good. And I know that um, if you're in the video world, that sometimes you got to use some stock footage. So go do it. Go storyboxvideo.com slash creative pep talk. Okay. Uh, I'm drinking coffee, but I'm not going to slurp into the microphone. Okay. Um, <clears throat> this episode is a Ask Dr. Pizza episode, which just means that I'm going to answer your questions that you send in via Instagram and email. If you have questions, I can put them in the stack of questions. If you email hi at andyjpizza.com or you can DM me on Instagram, but I, I can't promise that I will see it. Um, is this weird? <laughs> is it weird? No, no editing, no music. Makes me uncomfortable, but I just, uh, I'll get into it. All right, first question says, how do you get momentum and sustain that momentum in your creative career? I tend to experience small booms followed by months of nothing when it comes to freelance. Um, <clears throat> I think this is a great question because I think every creative person knows that this is true, that you have these experiences of intense, exciting breakthrough and attention and jobs, and then you can go a long time with nothing, and it's just quiet. And if you've ever experienced those quiet periods, you know how uncomfortable it is and how, how miserable it can make you and how in your head you can get and how panicked you can get. Um, and so there's this question of how do you get sustainable momentum that never breaks? How do you get this constant action in your creative career? And I'm going to reject the premise on this one because I don't think that should be the goal. And that's part of the reason why I wanted to do an episode with no editing is I believe that the universe has a rhythm. It is a birth and death rhythm. It is an inhale and exhale rhythm. And that there is a part of this rhythm this, you know, the winter gives way to the summer and the summer gives way to the winter and that rhythm is just good. It's just positive. It's something that's necessary. And I think that it's maybe American, this thing of just never let up on the gas pedal. It's like SpongeBob learning to drive. Uh, it's one of my favorite Spongebob episodes with, uh, what's her name? Mrs. I want to say Mrs. Potts, but I don't know why, why is her name Mrs. Potts. That doesn't seem right. She's a puffer fish and, uh, they get in the car and, uh, he, she says, okay, uh, something like touch the gas. This is the, the story's terrible. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But anyway, she's like basically tells him to start going really slow. And he says, floor it, 
No, SpongeBob, don't floor it. Floor it? No, don't floor it. Floor it! Okay, floor it! Um, and there's just this. There's the American way, is to floor it. Brute force. There's a mountain. We'll bust through it with dynamite instead of be dictated by it. You know, you go in England. Uh, you go in England like it's Disney World. You, If you visit England, you'll notice like... The distance between you and something might be five miles. It might take you 25 minutes to drive there because the roads are dictated by the land. So they don't just go straight shot there. You have to like go through the mountains and over the woods to grandmother's house you go when you're in England. And I think that this whole vibe of how do I just keep momentum at any cost is a very, it's very blowing up mountains kind of approach and I think that it destroys the nature of reality so for me personally the reason I started with this question is I had a major breakthrough on this forefront recently I realized my my in-laws from England they're British I lived there for five years if, if you're new to the show if you're new to the show I'm doing a video I'm doing a voice for you um <laughs> really regretting this non-editing thing. <laughs> Hold on. And uh, they came over. They come over for about two weeks every year. Sometimes they come over twice. Sometimes we go there every three years. About we go there for the month of June. And uh, very privileged to be able to to do that with our work situation and what have you. Um, but. When, you know, the one thing that the British people know is holiday. They know how to holiday. And that, what does that mean? That's what they call their vacation. And, you know, if you work, when I, I worked at Subway when I was there, if you work full-time at Subway, you get like five weeks vacation, something like that, paid vacation. Um, and that's that's going around the mountains, baby. That's, that's, you know, that's going with our nature. Like, we need breaks. We need rest. We need non-momentum. We need stagnation and, and staying put for a minute. Reminds me of, you know, uh, I was talking to my friend Omar from These Are Things. Uh, they make enamel pens and all kinds of really cool manufactured pr products. And I was talking to him about it. And he, he said it reminds him of pulsing, the pulsing feature on a blender. That if you want to get the right consistency of your food, you don't want it to just be pulverized into a liquid. That you need to use the pulse feature, which is this choppy, really intense blending, and then nothing. Really intense blending, and then nothing. And then that's how you get this ideal state of food. And I feel like this constant obsession with nonstop momentum is how you liquefy yourself. You liquefy your creativity until it's just this irreversible pulverized pulp. And then we get into that burnt out stage. I'm mixing burning out pulpy metaphors, but you get it. It feels right, right? You've, we've all felt, you felt your creativity in a pulverized pulp that feels irreversible when you're totally burnt out. If you're not doing that pulsing. And uh, anyway, my the, <clears throat> the breakthrough that I had was I realized, now I'm, I get, I hype things, you know? Sometimes I call 
uh, like when I put sriracha with hummus for the first time, I called that a major life breakthrough. So I can't overhype things from time to time. I don't think this is me overhyping. I noticed that while they were here this time over Halloween, <clears throat> that, you know, five of my biggest creative breakthroughs, things that have led to published books, things that have led to uh, things going viral online that, that changed my career, like th big, big creative moments happened while I was on vacation with my in-laws. Now, it might be the magic of the Brits. Maybe they've got some unicorn magic that we don't have. That's possible. The truth is, though, is that I think it happens in those seasons where momentum is stopped in its tracks. And this obsession with production is put off for a second. And there's this releasing of the blend and there's a pulse there's a stopping there's a letting go and in that season in that moment something happens that couldn't happen if you're just being pulverized into a pulp and so you know my first reaction to this was not the pulsing idea it was man i gotta just chill out all the time brother like i think that that's <laughs> i think that that is a common idea in creativity that it's all the let go in fact i'd done an episode um i think earlier this year about how creativity in my mind is it's like a slingshot and if i said what's what what's a slingshot all about what's the main thing what's the main moment of a slingshot where it all happens you'd say the letting go it's the letting go of the slingshot that flings the rock into the air. But the truth is, is that it's not a one thing. It's not a black and white. It's either about this or it's about that. It's either about the intensity or it's the letting go. Uh, it's about the narrative. It's about the story of the slingshot. It's the pulling back, creating the tension that makes the let go that much more powerful. That's what a slingshot's all about. And the same goes for your creativity. It's not all about letting go. It's not just the stopping of momentum and keeping it chill, man, that gives you the good creativity. It's, for me, I think it's the intense moments of serious tension and pushing and striving and blending and chopping and brute force contrasted by those punctuations of letting go of stopping the momentum. And so for me personally, what that's looked like is I want to create pendulum swings that are quicker, that are more frequent, that are more part of my routine. Instead of two weeks a year, what does it look like to take six four-day weekends a year plus two weeks a year? I'm going towards that British holiday because I do think they're onto something there. Um, but... But that's what I, now I understand that maybe I'm hijacking your question slightly because you're just asking, how do I make it so that I can feed, pe you know, myself and, and possibly uh, dependents without it being like, you know, a job every six months? I get it. 
but I think it just, it, it sparked something in me that was so huge that I wanted to share with you. And I think it's also just good to realize that it's never going to be constant momentum in the times of my life where it had been. You know, there was a time in my life in 2015 where I was hustling like a freaking maniac, taking on every single job, and I didn't have a second to create that pulse, and I was pulverized. And you don't want that. There's, it, I've seen too many people that don't come back from that. I like to think about burnout like you're... Uh, talked about this analogy on the podcast a few times. I feel like it really captures uh, the danger of extreme burnout is where your pilot light goes off. You know, it burns out like in your furnace. And if your pilot light goes off and it's just releasing gas that's not burnt into your house over time for too long, it can create a situation where just the tiniest thing can create an explosion. And you don't want to live in that place as a creative person. So I hope that helps. That's my first question. All right. Question number two. Uh, this comes from a friend of mine named Brent Galloway. He's in the uh, t-shirt, merch, band, merch, design space. He's a prominent figure in that, in that space. Uh, lives in my current city of Columbus, Ohio. And uh, he sent this question that I thought was fantastic. He said, well, I thought it was fantastic, but it also got me real salty. Now, uh, every once in the pod, every once in a while on the podcast, I like to get angry because I believe it, it's, uh, it leads to some deeper things. It means something's going on there. And this question made me angry, not for Brent, but for the people in the world that are stopping him from doing his best work. And uh, this, is, this is what he said. He said, a few years ago, when I had more spare time and wasn't getting much client work, I used to upload videos to YouTube about freelancing and design. I grew, up, I grew my channel to over 17,000 subscribers, which is a lot. Uh, sadly, I haven't uploaded in over a year. My go-to excuse is, I'm just too busy with client work. He did like, uh, he, he kind of quoted himself there. That's why I did a voice. Um, really, I'm insecure about putting myself out there again, especially now that I've grown a lot within my niche or designing mer for designing merch in the music industry. No one in, in my industry or any people I look up to make YouTube videos. Put a pin in that little sentence that he said. No one in my industry or any of the people I look up to make YouTube videos. Highlight that in your mind. When you say to yourself, no, but nobody does that in my industry, highlight that. Okay, I'm going to come back to that. And uh, I don't want to fall into that category of, and this is in quotes, those who can't do teach, especially when I don't want to necessarily teach. Uh, okay, I'm, there, there's more here, but I just want to stop. I want to stop there and talk and speak to that. First thing I want to say, let's go back to this idea of no one in my industry does that. So from time to time, I will run into somebody who I'm either working with or, or just giving a pep talk to about their creativity and that and and they'll talk about something they want to do or I'll suggest something I think they should do and they feel like they can't do it because people in their industry just don't do stuff like that and as soon as they say that I think yes exactly the whole freaking point of being an artist is doing things that other people don't do 
I've said it a billion times on the show, but I'll say it a billion more. What do you call an artist that doesn't want to stick out? And I would say, I don't know, but you don't call them an artist. Because being an artist is about sticking out. Is that we so badly want to stick out and we're also so petrified to stick out. When I created this podcast, a career podcast, there was no one in my little neck of the woods, design and illustration is kind of where I had established myself. There was nobody in that world doing a career podcast, doing a business podcast. And it literally petrified me. I thought, if I do this, I'm going to be the most uncool weirdo that is just, you know, is going to be ostracized. And it just broke through so much noise because I was doing something different. It reminds me of when I was in uh, high school. My brother was a senior and I was a freshman, my older brother, and he was kind of a troublemaker. Uh, <laughs> no, he wasn't kind of. He was a major troublemaker. And uh, we would be at the school assembly and everyone would be screaming at the top of their lungs. And it was just this huge, you know, this cacophony of, of, of loud, but it's just, you know, it all just blends into one, this giant white noise of everyone's going, yeah. And so it just kind of all blends together. And through that, hundreds of people, I could always pick out my brother. And it wasn't because I knew his voice, because if he was saying, I would have not been able to pick out his voice, but why I could always hear my brother is that he chose to not say, ah, but to say, I, 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 <laughs> really loud in this very different sound cut through the noise. And you have to be unafraid to do what your heroes wouldn't. It's the moment when you become who you're meant to be as a creative person. You have to disobey your heroes. So when you hear yourself say, but nobody does that in my industry, alarms should go off. I want you to set your, calibrate your metal detector to that. When you hear yourself say that, I want it to go, huge opportunity. This is the exact road that I need to go down. If it's something you feel in your gut that you want to do that's authentic to you and nobody's doing it, boom, baby, you just found a door to serious opportunity. So that's the first thing I want to say. Then I want to address the other thing, the other elephant in the room, if you will. Give me one second. I'm going to drink a little more coffee because I'm clearly not amped up enough. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> okay. This idea of those who can't do teach. Hmm. Now, I don't take any offense from this from Brent Galloway because he put it in quotes and he's not uh, so he's quoting other people because it is a common thing you know it makes me think of Jack Black on School of Rock uh, those who can't do teach and those who can't teach teach Jim am I right when he's playing you know teacher and he's getting into the groove love that movie Um. anyway those who can't do teach I hate this sentiment with all of my being and it's not because it hits upon something true for me. It's because I think it is so detrimental 
to the growth and thriving of creative people. And I want us to burn it at the stake, this myth right now. I'm going to do something that I don't do on this show very often. And I'm going to straight up tell you why I should be making this podcast. I'm going to brag. And there's a reason for it. And I'm going to get to that in a minute. But I want you to know something. I don't know if you know this. Before I ever had a creative pep talk podcast, before I was ever teaching this stuff on a podcast, I had established myself as an illustrator. I had a middle-class income on illustration. I bought a house off the strength of my illustration. I worked with Google, Smart Car, Converse, Bloomberg, Fast Company, Starburst, Nickelodeon, The Economist, Wired, Real Simple, Nylon Magazine, and more and more and more. Before, I'm getting a bunch of noises coming into my computer. <laughs> Before, told you no editing. Just me and you. Just We're just hanging out. Uh, before I'd ever had a podcast and that that's a condensed version of my uh of my client list now i'd also published three books before i ever had a podcast before i ever taught and i tell you that because although I'm not, I had plenty of things to learn. I had plenty. My, my career has grown a lot since then. Uh, had a lot of big breakthroughs and a lot of big breakthroughs because of the podcast. Um, before I did any of that, I had done before I taught. And I actually think that's a pretty good thing. I think that before you position yourself as an expert, maybe you should be an expert. I don't know. Going out, going out on a limb here. Um, but one of the reasons why it drives me freaking crazy, this concept of those who can't do teach, is because it stops some of the best practitioners from teaching. I know, I have at least one person in my mind, but I know multiple, that started down this road of being a public uh, figure and teacher that dramatically helped me, that unlocked things in my creative career that just totally changed the game for me. And at that time, I noticed some people within the industry start chiming in with, does this person even make anything anymore? And then slowly but surely, that person quit teaching, quit sharing their ideas, put their head down and just made stuff didn't want to stick their head up above the crowd. And I don't know for sure, but I feel like they got in that person's head. And because of that, I don't get the benefit of those breakthroughs anymore. And it breaks my heart. And it breaks my heart for all future students, all the people that can't afford, by the way, to go to art school. And, in, and I this sentiment that strikes fear in the heart of the best practitioners of getting labeled a teacher. And first of all, 
a teacher being a derogatory term, another just horrifying thing to me about the future of uh, the next group of students or the next group of teachers. And I love this phrase by Debbie Millman on her podcast, Design Matters. She said, we can, uh, so we can talk about making the world a better place. We can make a better place, make the world a better place, or we can do both. We can talk about design, we can design, or we can do both. And there, you know, I am so angry about black and white thinking because that's not the world. Have you seen the world? It is technicolor, baby. The shades, the contrast, the hues, it's so vibrant. And there isn't just doers and teachers. There is a wide spectrum of things in between. Please, practitioners, embrace teaching. And then I want to speak to an exception real quick. Well, well, first, hold on. The other reason it drives me absolutely freaking insane that we have this false dichotomy of doers and teachers is because teaching makes you a better doer. My illustration dramatically uh, uh, improved because of this podcast, because of talking about creativity. I became better at creativity. And so if we get afraid of being labeled a teacher and we go in our silos and we keep our head down, just make the work, don't talk about it, like we are going to be worse. Our students or our non-people who could, our potential students are going to be worse. And I'm burning this freaking myth at the stake today. On top of all that, let me just say uh, that... uh, you don't have to be an expert to teach, okay? I know I said that, but I'm just saying that um, before you position yourself as an expert, this is what I actually said. Again, down to the nuance. I love a little. I love a good slice of nuance. It's just delicious on the palate. Something that's not black and white, not binary. I love just mm, just a oh, flavor. It's complex. It's not just a simple sound bite. I said, yes, you should be an expert before you position yourself as an expert. But I did not say that you should be an expert before you start teaching or before you start sharing your journey. You know, Gary V, Gary Vaynerchuk, say what you want with him. He's a, he's a polarizing cat. Uh, he's not an actual cat. The way I said that did not sound like... <laughs> <laughs> did not sound like uh, it was a phrase or a term of endearment or, you know, uh, slang. It just sounded like I was saying he's an actual cat. Gary V. he's a polarizing cat. People, <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I'm cutting it. I'd put it on the cutting room floor if I was editing it, but I'm not. So you're going to have to deal with it. Um, <laughs> all right, this cat, this online cat persona, Gary V. he talks about how just because you're not an expert should not stop you from sharing your experience online. Telling your story online in real time is the name of the game in 2019. And I'm sure 2020 will be the same. And if you want to gain traction, you need to do that. And you don't need to wait until you're an expert to do that. And he says, instead of thinking about creating content, just think about documenting content, documenting your life, documenting your journey. And it does grind my gears a little bit, and this isn't a call out or anything, but it it grinds my gears. I think it's just inauthentic when people, you know, position themselves as experts when they're not. And they start telling people, this is how you have a 
thriving creative career when they don't have anything close to a thriving creative career. And they're trying to get it by sharing how to have it. And that's a weird, you know, it's not helping anybody, right? But it doesn't mean that you couldn't get started saying, hey, I don't have a thriving creative career, but I'd like to get one in this thing that I'm making is a document of that journey. I think that's completely and utterly val valid. Um, and so, uh, you know, get sharing, get teaching, get, you know, you can, the second you learn something, you can turn around and teach someone else it. When I started my creative career, the first like illustration, proper illustration job that I got, I did a, an illustration for Sony PSP in the Europe, European market. And I was just instantly like calling my friends, like, this is how I did it. This is how I did, like, you got to figure this, you got to see this because I, I have a teacher's spirit. Uh, but I, I also, I think there's so much great stuff and that can be done by being both a practitioner and a teacher. And I love that Venn diagram. And that is why this whole sentiment of those who can't do teach, shut up. <laughs> I've had enough of it. Don't say it again. I'm sick of it and it's hurting people. And uh, damn it, Brent Galloway. Don't ever say that to me again. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, th that's me fired up telling you, don't let them get in your head and don't be afraid to do what they wouldn't. There is so much garbage beyond this question. If this isn't something you struggle with, I want you to just chew on this for a minute. What things, what phrases, what cliches, what myths have got in your head? This might be the day. This might be the time. If you're looking for a sign, it's now. You need to do a self audit. Think about what are the things that I've believed that are hurting me, that are hurting other people, that may have some truth to them. You know, I grew up reading C.S. Lewis uh, and he talks about how rarely is a is is evil its own thing it's almost always a perversion of something true and i every myth is built on the foundation of some slight truth it's taking a truth and perverting it and it's that i think the truth of those who can't do teach i think there's a perversion of uh the fact of like those who you know these these people that position themselves as experts when they're not Right? Like, that's true. Like, that isn't a great thing. We all can agree on that. But I think we can all agree that the world would be better if those who do did teach. And they would actually do better if they did. But that's not the only thing. I want you to use this as a, uh, a starting block, as a springboard to ask yourself some tough questions. What are the general industry accepted rules that are holding you back? And how are you gonna disobey your heroes to have your big breakthrough? There are so, so much of the biggest moments in my creative career are directly on the back of noticing, oh, I'm buying into this thing. I was sold a bill of goods. It's a total crock of crap. And I'm gonna call their bluff and I'm gonna burn it at the stake.
Maybe you need to get weird about it and write it down on a scrap piece of paper and hold a bonfire, some kind of ceremony. Burn your lies, burn these sacred cows, call their crap and break through. I guarantee you right now, they're in your head. They're in my head. I'm constantly having to unravel those yarns of twisted garbage. <laughs> I think that's... <laughs> On that note, let's talk about our sponsors. <laughs> um, oh, God. Um, okay. We got two sponsors. One is Storyblocks. The other one's Skillshare. Skillshare... Uh, I put out a Skillshare class. The re Here's why I did that. Because Skillshare has been talking to me. I actually had a... Uh, I wanted to do a, pro a, a Skillshare on side projects back in, I believe it was 2012. That's when I wanted... That, when 2012, I think it was, that they emailed me. This was like early Skillshare days. And they'd emailed me about potentially doing a class and I thought I'd really like to do one on side projects because I've had a lot of breakthroughs with side projects but I didn't feel like I was ready and I decided not to do it and uh and then over the years through this podcast they approached me a few different times for different things and and for one reason or another I didn't do it I wasn't ready and I also didn't know how I felt about you know this model of online class and uh and the more I dug into it, the more I felt like the what Skillshare and all other online learning platforms that are giving you video are doing is they're really disrupting the art school, higher education world that just desperately needs, for the good of humanity, needs disrupting right now. Now, I think there's a bunch of things that you can pretty much only get through time with practitioners and time with other peers. And, uh, you know, I've got some ideas around that, though. Just put that on the back burner. But beyond those things, I think some of the most effective ways to learn some of the denser material is through a series of online videos that you can stop, start, do at your own pace, rewatch a billion times. And that's why I believe in things like Skillshare. That's why I wanted to be a part of it. That's why I wanted to do my information through this lens. And I felt like in 2019 that I was ready. And then I worked with Skillshare and I got more ready. And we built a class that I am so excited about. And the feedback has been so great. And I just, I'm really, really proud of this thing. I think it is, um, I think it's the culmination of five years of podcasting put in a very succinct way with some real actionable activities that I think have the potential to help you not wait for your big break, but to start breaking stuff, to to start uh, orchestrating your big break like a creative heist and do it on purpose. So go check it out. Skillshare.com slash creative pep. You get two free months of Skillshare. And you can take my class in those two free months. And if you're done with it, you don't see other classes, which I think you actually will because there's plenty of really amazing practitioners that both do and teach. Sorry, I got angry again. Uh, go check it out. Skillshare.com slash creative pep. Also, massive shout out to Storyblocks Video. They got a bunch of freaking beautiful video. I went on there. 
was watching some beautiful video of some animals. I love animal footage. Um, just stuff that you're, you know, stuff you're not going to see around Columbus, Ohio. And it, it was uh, moving and, and gorgeous. And if you need some of that kind of stuff, if you need to up your video game with some stock video that you can't get any other way in, in your neck of the woods, go check it out. You're not going to be disappointed. It's a good brand. It's a slick brand. It's a clean brand. It's delicious. It's, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a set of teeth that's been flossed and, and uh, shined and whitened. That's how shiny their brand is. <clears throat> they don't do anything to do with teeth, but they... <laughs> Storyblocks.com slash creative pep talk to learn more. Go check it out. Storyblocks video if you need some of that kind of stuff. All right, back to the show. <clears throat> A few more questions and we'll get you out of here. Okay. Let's talk about creative multiple personalities. So I have a question came through on Instagram and it says, I'm struggling with feeling like I have multiple artistic personalities. Help! Uh, okay, so I think we've probably all experienced this. This idea of like um, when we look at our heroes, they look to have, I'm pouring some coffee here, uh, just so you know what that noise is. <laughs> um we look at them and they just look so concise. They look so put together. They look, they, their voice just seems so singular. And, uh, and ours just looks like a freaking mess. It looks like a million different things, all barely tied together with some loose floss from the Storyblocks video sponsorship. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, <clears throat> we're very aware of how our own sausage is made, if you will, where their sausage just looks like consistent little links. But the truth is, in the in the casing of the sausage, <laughs> so gross, uh, there's a pulsed, chopped up conglomeration of various seasons and explorations and the multitudes in which they contain. So first of all, I just want to uh, you know, say as consistent as your heroes seem to be, I can guarantee that it, their work is an amalgamation of experience, DNA, experiments, and, uh, you know, uh, influences. And the more stuff you make over time, the more consistent that you're going to get. That's part of it. There's going to be a thread of a, a foundation that kind of runs through there. So part of it is it, it happens over time. Then I think there's a few other things going on here. Uh, I'll, I'll speak to two other things that could be happening if you're feeling like you have multiple personalities in your art. <clears throat> One is, you know, I'm down for this whole idea of like, I was just talking to Joey Ellis last week about how, you know, this idea, he was saying, you know, you should be the same person when you're talking to your kids as you are when you're talking to your spouse, as you're talking to your audience, as you're, you know, whatever. You you should have the integrity that you're not just a chameleon. And I think, uh, again, the nuance here is important because I do think that's completely true. You shouldn't be telling your kids one thing and then doing the exact opposite, right? Like, I, I'm down for that. I think that's exactly what Joey was saying. But at the same time, acting exactly the same speaking in the same tone 
is unrealistic. To me, that sounds like, you know, these people that think that, uh, you know, there should only exist G-rated movies, that all movies, if, if they were pure movies, all movies would be okay for kids. And that's just not true. There's a bunch of things in our multitudes of our universes, uh, in the multiverses that that just aren't, it's not all relevant stuff for kids. And, and what I mean by this is, yeah, maybe uh, the foundation of you should always remain the same. What's under uh, what you're doing should be a consistent core value based foundation. But when you're speaking to your mom, when you're speaking to your spouse, when you're speaking to your mates down at the pub, when you're speaking to your dog, when you're speaking to your kids, when you're speaking to your doctor, it's okay if your voice changes a little bit. When I talk to my dogs, who I love dearly, over the past couple of years, I've somehow converted to a dog person. Like, not just, I've always kind of liked dogs, but now I'm a dog person. It gets weird around my dogs. When I see my dogs, I just, oh, you're a little doggy doozoo. <laughs> and I, I get very, that's an accurate portrayal. I'm getting excited. I need to go cuddle my dogs. Um, I love my dogs. Anyway, when I talk to my dogs, that's how I talk. And I think it's good. I think it's wholesome. I think it's true. I think it's beautiful the way that I talk to my dogs. And I don't talk to my uh, mom the way I talk to my dogs. <laughs> and the same goes for when I'm making uh, a t-shirt for one of my favorite bands. Why? The people who do the theme music to this show. I talk a little bit different in my work than when I'm making a kid's book. And I think that's good. I think that's fine. And I think you need that nuance. And I think your your voice should have a deep grounding of why you're doing it that goes beyond the cheaper veneer of how, the style. You know, for me, I think if you get in touch with what is your work all about, for me, I want to talk about this in a little bit. For me, my work is about uh, mostly spirituality. You know, I, I use that term, I hope to kind of, Reimbue this term with new, fresh colors and, and use it as a container to talk about everything that we can't see, everything beyond our five senses, I will call spirituality. That's the good stuff. There's some kind of, I think we have a sixth sense that somehow tunes into this stuff that's beyond our senses. We, and we brush up against it with things like synchronicity or, or mystical experience or, or what have you, or coincidence, all these things where we're like, wait a second. That's what I want my, anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself, but I, I think what's, what's the baseline as Rob Bell would say, what's the baseline of your creative stuff that there needs to be some steady drum, some, some, some step. Why, why is this baseline a drum now? But you need some steady pulsing. There's a lot of pulsing in this episode throughout your work. There needs to be that, that consistency and that's going to happen over time. It's just going to develop a heartbeat. But the flesh that you put on top of that heart, it's different depending on who you're talking about, what you're talking about, what your purpose is, what your end goal is, what the brief is. That's okay. And then on top of that, whenever I hear somebody say that they have these rival voices or these rival threads in their work that are just uh, completely different, I have the alarm bells go off in my brain. 
same thing that always happens when this happens is I think, stop your tracks. Just like when uh, you have that thing where you say, nobody in my industry is doing this and you should stop everything you're doing and do that thing. The same goes for any time you feel like you have two things that are completely different and you're trying to hold them in tension. I say, stop what you're doing. You're right at the, the crossroads of creativity because it's combinatorial creativity. It's combining two things that don't seem to go together. And that messy work of trying to somehow match this beat with that random, you know, this guitar part that the two different genres, somehow you figure out the pattern of the meeting place or you force that connection to happen. That messy forcing of things, that's creativity right there. And I, you know, one of my all-time favorite songs. Uh, I like, I like, uh, I like to analyze art that's not just relevant in the moment, but things that have some staying power for me personally. And I tried to be non-judgmental about it. There's a song by a band called Muse, and it's called Madness, and it's a pop rock song, really, and. Really love that song. I'm not even a Muse fan. I just love that song so much. It's very in my spiritual wheelhouse of feelings. It's very uplifting. I like a. I love uplifting things. That's why I make it. That's why I make that stuff. Um, but I love the song Madness. And it came on the radio the other day, and my wife and I were musing about this. <laughs> I did that on accident. I swear to you, musing about this Muse song and we realized that it sounds very much like a straight collage of Queen and U2. It is just a freaking Queen U2 mashup. And on the surface, there is nothing in common between Queen and U2. They have so many dramatic differences stylistically. They are multiple personalities, if you will. But the birth of a new thing, the creation of a new thing, means that the middle overlap of a Venn diagram is born the second Muse made that song. All of a sudden, they do have something in common. It's called madness. And I feel like sometimes we overcomplicate creativity and I feel like sometimes the purest thing is just to be like, what would it sound like if you two and Queen made a song together? And I hope that's a springboard. I hope you allow yourself the grace and the, and the, um, the exploration and the fun and the play of just doing some stylistic mashups of just saying, what if these two paths crossed? And so if you're feeling inconsistent, what I would say is, first of all, give yourself permission to develop that baseline over time, to develop that heartbeat over time. Give yourself permission to speak in different voices when you're speaking to your little doggies and when you're speaking to your doctor. Mm, yes, I will. I will eat. I will eat more carrots and less potatoes. What? Have, give yourself permission to see, speak in some different voices and give yourself permission to play and just smash some crap together. 
probably, you know, there's a, you could say, what would it sound like if the Beatles made a Goo Goo Dolls song? Probably terrible, but maybe not. I'd listen to it. Let's try it. I don't know. My favorite, one of my favorite bands, 1975, did a song that's very Goo Goo Dolls-ish. They had, it's called, uh, I Always Want to Die Sometimes. <laughs> um, and it's good. I liked it. It had the same person who construct, who, uh, scored the strings as the person who did the strings on the iris Goo Goo Dolls. And I don't, I'm not a really a fan of Goo Goo Dolls, but that song had a, had a moment. Is that what you listen to this podcast for? My take on hot takes on Goo Goo Doll songs. <laughs> Look, we edit most episodes. Um, let's go on to uh, the next question. Okay. <clears throat> let's see. I've got two questions that I'm going to... I got... Uh, to work between. Uh, let's do. Let's do this one real fast. Finding a side quest as a writer in hopes of getting published in children's books. So you're saying if if I'm just a writer, I'm not an illustrator. Uh, how do I create a side project, a strategic side project, aka a side quest in my book, to get published? Here's what I would do if I were you. And this is similar to what I did as an illustrator. Uh, a, believe in the idea. Pick an idea that you don't need validation on. This is huge. This is something I've been thinking about lately. Often when I feel like we're trying to rush the idea phase and we're trying to skip to our final boss, skip to the reward for our creativity, instead of dive deep into the creativity and enjoy the creativity. Last week we had Joey Ellis. He was talking about his conversation with kids book legend, Bob Shea. Uh, and Bob Shea told him like, if you, you know, if you're frustrated with the sales, if you're frustrated with the launch of the book, if you're frustrated with, you know, the reward, realize that was never what it was. If you don't like the part where you're knee deep in creating the art for the book and writing the book. If you don't if you're not just like having a blast on that stuff, you need to go find something else to do because that's the thing. And I think, you know, so often we want to skip to getting published that we and we're so scared. That's really what it is. It's not even that we wouldn't enjoy the practice of making the creative work if we just allow ourselves to enjoy it for a minute. Uh, but we're so afraid that our idea is not going to be good enough. We're so afraid the vulnerability of sitting in creativity. It's so scary. To, it's this fixed mindset of you want to dive, you want to scuba dive, dive down to the bottom of that pool and grab that little weighted rocket and burst back to the top because we're afraid we're going to drown down there. We're afraid we're not going to come up. We're going to come up short with nothing. And so we do that idea. We fast forward that idea phase. I got an idea. Is this an idea, right? Okay, I got an idea. And then you just walk around and tell every friend that you've ever known about the idea just to be like, this is an idea, right? It's an idea. And they're like, yeah, it's an idea. I mean, it's okay, I guess. And whenever I'm feeling like that, I almost always know that I've either half-baked that idea or I don't really have an idea. And that's the reason I need validation on it. More times than not, 
when I have a really good idea, I don't even really feel the need to tell people about it because, you know, I like this idea. I've been talking to my buddy, Kyle Sheely. Uh, he's kind of developing some language around why he does what he does. He's a public speaker and he, he creates huge things out of cardboard. And he was talking about how he's really a doer of ideas. He has crazy ideas. And the thing that's different about him is he just does those crazy ideas. He had an idea for, uh, you know, publishing a more full version of Fifty Shades of Grey. It's called 99 Shades of Grey. And it was just a book that they kickstarted that was just pages of 99 different shades of grey. Just <laughs> no words. Um, and just stuff like that. He does it. He has those crazy ideas and then he just does them. And that's that's what that's his thing. He he does that. So um you know I feel like we, we talked about how having ideas and telling people about them instead of doing them is telling stories that you never did. And it's just boring. <laughs> There's that, it's really boring to be like, to, to go around telling people stories uh, about yourself that you've never done. And it's so much more compelling and interesting to tell people stories of things that you've actually done. And that's the power of having an idea that you're so excited about that you don't want to you don't want to let the cat out of the bag too much because that's not the full expression of the idea. They're not going to get an idea of what the idea's real potential is if you don't take it to its fruition, if you don't write the thing and get the thing illustrated or get some you know, meat on that bone before you let them taste it. You know what I mean? Don't, you know, if you let them just taste the stock instead of tasting the soup, they're not going to be like, mm, delicious, right? Like they don't see what you can see. That's why you're doing this thing. So for me personally, and I was looking back at some of my early create, uh, kids book pitches and there was one idea in particular that has since turned into a bunch of things. And I knew it was good. I knew it was good. I was so pumped about that idea. And yet I let one editor just shoot me down. And it made me rewrite it and rewrite it and rethink it and talk to a billion people about it and freak out about it. And I look back on it today. I was looking through those sketches and looking through that art I was making. I was like, you idiot. Why didn't you just make it? You know it's good. And so that's what I would say. Start with an idea you know is good. You don't have to tell a billion people about it to feel good about it. Because if you tell them this stories, these stories of things you never did, they're going to give you a face like, mm, I don't know. It doesn't seem like a real thing. That's because it's not a real thing because you haven't done it. Pick a thing that you're going to do regardless. Do it with or without permission. Once you have enough to share with publishers, share it with publishers. But only if you love that idea enough to do it with or without them. Find some illustrators who need to break in in the same way that you are. They're in the same boat. They're a peer. And then pay them in books as a collaborative deal. Say, I will write it. You illustrate it. I will pay to get all the books printed and I'll share half the loot with you and you can sell it in your you can sell it in your shop. You can even sell one of the things I do because I don't like not paying people with money, creative people. I'll pay them a low fee because, you know, if I'm not a, a business or a, a, a an actual client, I will give them something affordable, but it will be something and not nothing. Pay them a little stipend and pay them in books and both agree to go in that risk together and self-publish it. 
and then dress for the job you want, not the job you have. I like that phrase better than fake it till you make it because it's honest. Put those books, make multiples of those books. Write a few, publish a few. Put them in your website. You can say in the, in the liner notes of the project that this is self-published, but you don't have to scream it from the rooftops. Let them get the impression that it's just a legit book. Make them do a little research. Make them dive into the actual project. But if they go to your, your portfolio, all they're going to see is you've made three books. And by the time I'd made my first actual kid's book, it was halfway through the process before they'd realized that they'd hired somebody who had never made a, a, a fully published kid's book because I'd done a few self-published ones and independent ones before that, some collaborative ones. That's my advice, okay? Let's do two more, two more quick ones. That was not a quick one, I lied, but the last one's definitely quick, but this one might be a little bit longer, okay? Ready, buckle up. Okay. This one, this question is, I don't know how to express my value. Huge problem. I'm glad you asked that question because value is one half of business. The other half is money. <laughs> they give you money, you give them value. That's it. That's business. That's the definition of business. If you don't know your value, they won't give you money because that's the only reason they would give you money. It's huge, 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 huge. Most creative people don't know their value. Most of my career, I didn't know my value. But I feel like I'm starting to at least scratch the surface on that. And it's had tremendous effect on the stuff that I make. If you don't know, I'm just going to give you three little tips. I'm not going to dive deep into them. I've dove deep into these topics throughout the podcast. I don't even, I've talked about it on so many podcasts, I can't even give you a, an episode number. But just three things. You can go look them up. I'll put them in the show notes. Uh, in, the, in the book Personal MBA by Joshua Kaufman, he talks about the five types of core human drives is the things that we want, the value that we seek. We want to feel things. We want to learn things. We want to bond with other people. We want to protect what we already care about and have. And we want to collect new things. We just like trinkets. We like to collect stuff. It's part of our uh, gathering. Hunters and gatherers. We love to gather trinkets. We like to just stockpile this stuff. That's just a human drive. You need to be speaking to one or more of these. Feel Learn, bond, protect, collect. Now, Bain and Company's 33 Elements of Value. It's this uh, thing they published. They're like a research company. They don't do this exactly, but in my mind, they're taking those five things and they're extrapolating all the different types of feelings you could deliver on, all the ways you could teach people things, all the ways you could help people bond, all the ways you can help people protect what they love all the things that they can collect and they just put it in a hierarchy of, you know, from kind of basic needs to like spiritual transcendent needs. And just start wrestling with that. BuzzFeed has cultural cartography and they talk about these are the things that cause people to share things online, things that people care about, value. Dive into those things. Start wrestling with what am I delivering on? Huge, huge, huge question. You've got to do it. But I wanted to speak to a little bit just from my experience what I'm trying to de deliver on in hopes that you kind of get something from that, that it sparks something for you. So like I said earlier in this episode, I believe that what my creativity is all about is spirituality. Now, spirituality in a very loose way, not in a proselytizing. I, 
there's not a proselytizing bone in my creative body. It's just not interesting to me. What is really interesting to me is the feeling you get when you encounter something that transcends, that goes beyond your five senses, invisible things, if you will. Uh, anybody familiar with my work knows that's this, the, the, my favorite thing that I've ever done is my invisible things, uh, illustration stuff. You can go find it at Andy J Pete's on Instagram. Give us a little follow while you're there. Huh? Um, I promise I'll make it worth your time. I'll deliver tons of value. Things like giving you the feeling of synchronicity. Do you know what synchronicity is? It's like, oh, you know, uh, you, you, you saw a deer in the New York Times and then you look up from your newspaper and there in your backyard is a deer. Synchronicity. You know, those weird coincidences. Those, oh, I was just thinking about leprechauns and you're eating Lucky Charm cereal. Hopefully it's deeper than that. But, <clears throat> but that feeling, I love synchronicity. Carl Jung, I'm not going to go into it. I'm not going to dive deep into that tangent, but Carl Jung's one of my biggest inspirations and he loved synchronicity. He was like a psychologist mystic. Anyway, getting excited about it. I want when people see my illustration for them to feel almost like they're experiencing synchronicity, that transcendent spiritual, ooh, whoa, wow. I'm feeling weird feelings of maybe there's more to life than cheeseburgers. Although cheeseburgers can be transcendent, uh, but that's the feeling—that's the feeling I want them to have. I want them to feel that brush with the divine, or that brush with uh, quantum realm—the you know, the deep little tiny micro world, or the max world beyond our senses and dimensions, and transcendent into spiritual beings and feelings. And I love that. That's why I live. It makes me—I feel like if all we've got is the things we can see, taste, touch, smell, uh, feel, I don't know. If that's all we have, I'm just not sure this life is worth living for me. It's just not. I, 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 can, I know. I mean, we know there's more. And for my art, I want people to feel that feeling. That's value. Anything, if you can give someone a feeling on purpose, they can be bad feelings. If you make someone angry, if you make someone scared, if you, there's there are low-level feelings that people will pay for, things they don't even want to feel, right? So listen to an episode of Hidden Brain. They were talking about why do we like to eat hot things? And scientists think we like to eat spicy things because our brain tells us, or our body tells us this thing's potentially harmful, but our brain knows that it's safe. And there's some kind of thrill there of like owning our body. And it's the same for roller coasters. Our body says this roller coaster, we're about to lose our life. But our brain, our human side, our, our transcendent side says, nah, you're good. It's going to be fine. And there's some kind of, we get a thrill, sadistic kind of thrill of owning our body. And so you, any feeling you can deliver, if you can give, if you can sell feelings, you're in business. And that's one of the feelings I want to do, right? And Or a mental breakthrough where all of a sudden you're having a realization. Again, that can be spiritual and that can be uh, otherworldly. But this this feel, that's why I love analogies. Analogies, here's an analogy that I didn't come up with to explain analogy. I don't know where this came from, but uh, it's this idea that an analogy is an idea where you are hijacking 
a highway in someone's brain that that's already built. So when you're trying to introduce new information that they've never heard of, it doesn't relate to anything they know, you're asking them to create neuro pathways that don't exist. So you're building a road and trying to send a car, your information down it at the same time. It's very complicated, waste tons of calories. And our brains are like, no, thank you. I don't have time or energy to waste on this. But if you give them an analogy, you're sending a car down a neuro pathway that already exists. You're sending a car down a highway that already exists. And it's such an instantaneous thing that it creates an actual physical, emotional response. And that's why people will respond with a verbal uh, expression of, if you get an analogy right on stage, you will hear an audible, <gasps> like some guy, it's like almost the same as laughter. That's my jam, baby. i buy and trade in that crap. Why? Because I love that crap. I also love crying. <laughs> I love crying um, of being joyous or feeling meaning. For me, crying is the metric of experiencing meaning. If you're actually experiencing deep, profound meaning, you will cry. And that's why I like to get on, st st get on stage and make people cry. I don't know what that was. Um, I like to get on stage and make people cry because I like to trade in meaning and the feeling of meaningful experience. And uh, I was telling my friend Kyle Sheely that that's what I want to do of like, I want to make, it's like the opposite of, it's like a weird opposite version of a stand-up comic. I like making people laugh too, but I much rather, rather make them cry. And I was like, what's the opposite of a stand-up comic? We got to figure out what to call these people. And he said, well, the opposite of a stand-up comic is a lay down tragic. And that's what you are. So that's me. Andy J. Pizza, lay down tragic. And funnily enough, when I do my talk, I often do lay face down on the floor uh, in tra a tragic state. Anyway, do you hear I have been wrestling with what am I trying to deliver on? What am I trying to be a master uh, practitioner on delivering consistently and I can tell you if you come to my talk I'm going to make you feel some meaning you might even have a realization you might get some of those feelings and you're saying alright I'll give you 20 bucks for that I'll give you 30 bucks for that I'll give you you know what I'm saying that's why we go to the movies that's the deal we go to the movies we'll give you 10 bucks you make me feel something while I'm in that room you gotta gotta figure it out. Because if you don't figure it out, you can't reverse engineer it. That's what I've I've talked about this a bunch on the podcast. Whenever I go into this value thing, talk about this, but we gotta keep coming back to it. I'm gonna say it to the ends of the earth. I heard Michael Gunger talking to Pete Holmes, and Michael Gunger had just quit his band. Uh he's kind of in the spiritual realm of music, and he's like, I quit doing my band because I've said everything I wanted to say with that band. And Pete Holmes turned to him and said, Say it again. You think the sun says I already I already had a sunrise yesterday? No, it come it's your thing. What's your thing? Come and say it again. I'm going to tell you to the ends of the earth for the ends of time. I'm going to tell you that comics are the masters of creativity and that we need to constantly revisit their practices if we're ever going to be masters like them and for them what they have is a clear target, laughter. And because of that, because they can measure it, just like when the business world, they say, what gets measured gets managed. You can't manage it. If you don't know your value, you can't consistently deliver on it. You've got to have a sense of that target. It's desperate situation for your career. It's a desperate situation for your business because if you can't articulate the value of your business, you can't ask them for their money. So we're going to keep coming back to it. We're going to wrestle with this till the ends of time. 
All right, we're running out of time right now. It's the ends of our time. That sounded dark. Okay, last question. How do I find an audience? This is going to be some tough love. And uh, I got this question a few times from different people. How do I find an audience? And I took a little, you know, to get some context, I kind of dove into, this isn't, now by the way, if you ask this question, this isn't necessarily true of you, but I looked into the several people that asked a question like, I'm not getting traction online, I'm not connecting with an audience, I can't find, uh, you know, uh, I can't find people that are crazy about my work or that, you know, whatever. And I, and I dove, dove in a little bit. And I looked into these people just kind of see, you know, what's my perspective? How can they do a better job of connecting? And I would say the majority of people that asked me the question, how do I find an audience, weren't ready to have an audience. And I don't mean, you know, I didn't like their work. I mean, you know, it, a lot of those people were uh, making work that was, you know, just uh, some sketches and their you know their instagram is photos of them with their family and just random doodles at the you know some of them were really young people like teenagers and uh and it just got me thinking about myself and how early in my career i really wanted to be celebrated for being great but i didn't care so much about being great and I think that there is a part of us, there's a part of art. I've talked about this idea before, like glory and impact look really similar on the outside. When you're looking at your heroes, it's easy to confuse impact with glory. And it's, and it's really easy and it's in our ego that's so ravenous, is so desperate for glory that we want to skip to that. We want to go straight to how do I have, how do I get people freaking out about me and my work and how do I get celebrated for being great all the while missing the pure pursuit of impact. So when you're impacting thousands of people, it can look like you're getting a lot of glory. But if you go out there and try to find glory for yourself, if that's your driving factor is to be celebrated for greatness and your driving factor is not to be great, you're never going to get there. You're never going to find your audience. This is a harsh word uh, and I get it, but I'm speaking to my past self and sometimes I needed a little tough love. And so I would say to myself, the only way you're going to have the impact that you want to replicate from your heroes is if you quit falling in love with being celebrated for being great and fall in love with actually getting into the nitty gritty of what makes that creative work so truly great. And this year even, I had a love affair with illustration all over again. I fell deep in love. I had a uh, tweet that got a little traction recently about how I realized that 
illustration. You know, there's so much focus on style, so much focus on how, and so much focus on what it looks like. Of course, it's drawings. I get it. But the truth is, I found illustration, when it's really coming alive, is writing with pictures and not words. Telling a story with pictures. And when I go through that lens and I realize I get to the heart of the value of illustration to throw back, call back to the previous question, when I get to the really the guts of the impact of what illustration can do and I fall in love with the masters of the craft and I'm looking at, oh my gosh, look at that kid's book. Look at what that illustrator can do with a picture. Like they're inventing a world that didn't exist that I'm, it's just by its alchemy. They turn a page, a piece of paper into gold. That's illustration. And when my heart is on fire for the greatness of the work, the potential of the work, this is about the time at the end of the episode when I would be putting that transcendent music on baby because I'm feeling it. When I fall in love with that, woo, that's when I connect with an audience. Can you feel me? So that's what I'd say about that. You want to find an audience? You want an audience to fall in love with you? Fall in love with the craft, fall in love with the art, fall in love with being great and not being celebrated for greatness. That's it. This is a long episode. <laughs> That's unedited. Um, <laughs> I hope you don't mind. I I know it's a really long one and I, and I know it, I didn't edit it, uh, but I, I hope and I just want to um, get, <laughs> I'm genuinely getting a little bit emotional. Uh, I I think about you guys <laughs> when I'm not recording this podcast and I think about how do I how do I get you how do I connect to you through digital cyberspace in a way where you can feel my heartbeat feel my humanity feel that it's not a polished thing that's just mechanical and robotic but it's flesh and blood passion and heart and one of the things I've been thinking about, just this is a heads up, like I I don't do coaching that often. And I'll tell you one, this coaching idea, this, you know, I use every once in a while, I get really fired up and I will release, uh, you know, like 20 spots of one-on-one sessions where I'm doing like a portfolio review or a strategy session uh, or just, you know, giving my outside thoughts on someone's portfolio. Those experiences have been some of the most powerful experiences of my career and I've had some results that I am so proud of some impact that I am just so proud of and one of the reasons I don't always open those up this is just me getting it's, this non-edited episode has really pulled some authenticity and truth out of me and I just want to I'm a little bit scared of sharing this with you but I'm going to tell you part of the reason why I don't always keep those open is because uh, because I'm really busy and I, I'm not trying to brag. It's not a bragging thing. I just have, I'm juggling a lot of things. I do client work. I'm doing several books right now and I'm, uh, building some other secret stuff that I can't talk about yet, but I will talk about real soon. Uh, probably in, hopefully in the new year doing a bunch of stuff and I'm always doing a bunch of stuff and throwing 
one-on-one sessions into that mix often turns my life into chaos. But, you know, the pulsing of chaos and and non-chaos is good for me. So one of the reasons why I don't, why I, another big reason why I don't always do them is because they got, they've gotten my head plenty of times is that I know that there is stigma to the word coach. That's a new word. So, you know, let's get a lot of humor around it, but there's also a lot of stigma around teaching and I want to do, and even I fall into that false dichotomy and I want to be like, boom, I'm doing it, baby. I'm not teaching it. And it's to the detriment of my impact. It's the detriment of my own life. Because one of the things I know, if I want to get into the pulse, if I really deeply want to connect with my audience, nothing does that more than connecting to my audience. And when I'm doing regular sessions and teaching and and, and collaborations with my audience, I am so in tune with them. And so one of the ways I can get in tune is doing an episode like this that's long, sprawling, unedited, right from my heart. And another way is actually connecting and actually getting boots on the ground uh, and and teaching face-to-face with these people. And so I'm probably going to open that up one way or another in the new year. Maybe sooner if I get really pumped about it. But just keep your eyes peeled for that because I it matters to me that you know where this comes from. It matters to me that I get my heart right when I'm doing this stuff because I know oh, uh, 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 under deep layers of pizza inside of my heart, which is very clogged by molten cheese, uh, <laughs> there is a real deep-seated passion for creative people and seeing them thrive and have careers in creativity. That's what this show is. It's a career podcast about creativity. Anyway, this is an an enormous episode. I'm going to shut it down. Thank you for tuning in. If you're here at the end of this, which, you know, I can't believe these people that show up every week and listen to this show, hats off to you. I hope this thing sets up your week with so much passion and power and boom and zest and jazz that you just crush the rest of this week. If I can string enough of these episodes together and string enough of jazzing you up week in, week out, we can take this place somewhere over time. Thank you to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music. Thanks to Alex Sugg for our soundtrack. Thanks to Chris Graham for audio assistance, although on this episode there is none. And thanks to all of you for coming back every week and joining me on this crazy creative journey. Till we speak next week, stay pepped up.